Good. <laughs> All right. Are you ready? <clears throat> I'm ready. All right. <clears throat> Here we go. <clears throat> Welcome to the Greatest List Podcast, a show about music and lists. This season, your hosts Jason and Eric are counting down the top 25 guitar solos of the 80s and the top 25 guitar solos of the 90s. Think your favorite made the list? Tune in and find out. Take it away, boys. Welcome back to the Greatest Lists and a bonus show for you for uh, season two. Jason here. Of course, Eric is here. I am. I'm right here. Thanks for being here, man. <laughs> Thanks for being a friend. <laughs> no, that's me. <laughs> hey, we are uh, we are counting down our top 25 guitar solos of the 80s, and we decided to pause for a minute because uh, there's an album celebrating an anniversary, which you can probably tell which it is by uh, <laughs> looking at the <laughs> episode title. Um. Yeah. But yeah, this one uh, just kind of hit home, I think, to both of us. And of course, I picked one of the songs off of the album. That is Huey Lewis and the News Sports. Yep. Uh, celebrating, wow, we are old as dirt, man. Yeah. 40 years old, uh, yeah. September 15th, which we will try to get this out on the actual anniversary date. Uh, 1983, when that was originally released. And we've got some uh, facts for you about the album, some facts about each song. We're going to gonna go through the album track by track, as we've done on these bonus shows before, and give, us, uh, give you our thoughts on uh, each of the songs there, and tell us, uh, well, we'll tell each other and tell you about, <laughs> uh, you know, how sports has impacted, impacted us over the years. Yeah. So... Uh, let me do a little more talking here, and then <laughs> we'll go back and forth. But uh, I wrote down some notes here about the album. Sports is the third album by Huey Lewis and the News, released, like I said, September 15th, 1983, on Chrysalis Records. I uh, reached number one on the Billboard 200 chart on June 30th, 1984. So about, gosh, six, nine months later. And ultimately charted for 160 weeks. Wow. Sports was ranked number two on the Billboard year-end album chart for 1984, right behind Michael Jackson's Thriller. And it was also a number three album in Canada. It spawned four top ten hits on the Billboard Hot 100 and earned two Grammy Award nominations. And it has since been certified seven times platinum by the RIAA. So that's uh, that's a lot of copies being sold. That's a uh, lot of copies. I did, I've forgotten about the Grammy Award nominations for the album, but all of this is just well warranted to me. Um, the title of the album was a play on the band's name, you know, the news. We got the, the sports section in your news. Yeah. Uh, the, the cover art features a photo of the band at the 2 a.m. club, a bar located in Mill Valley, California, where the band had performed during its early days. And the bar was chosen for the shoot because the band reasoned that most people watch televised sporting events in bars. That makes sense, right? There you go, yeah. 
Uh, sports was self-produced by the band after their manager, Bob Brown, felt that the band's own demos were better than the producers that they've been considering. So, <laughs> they produced this album on their own. Uh, that's <laughs> that's a pretty high praise from a manager. You know, this sounds good. You don't even need a... You don't even need, need a producer. In, don't even need to bring anybody in here to ruin it. Yeah. So here's a quote uh, from Huey Lewis back in uh, 2013 to Billboard magazine. He said, quote, Back in the day, you wanted your albums to have a theme. And sports theme was really a collection of singles. It was really a record for its time. In the 80s, the way radio was programmed, if you didn't have a hit record, you weren't going to be able to make any more records. That was it, period. So our priority was to come up with hit singles. Every tune we aimed for the radio, because we didn't know which one of them was going to be a hit. We just knew we needed a freaking hit, period. <laughs> and fortunately, we got them, unquote. So I thought that was interesting that their whole, you know, you have all these concept albums back in the day and you can really see like a, an ebb and flow when you listen to it. I mean, I'm talking, preaching to the choir here, Mr. Hundred Albums in Hundred Days. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, this is, you know, I, I think it's maybe a little bit ahead of the time. They're thinking, okay, we need a whole album full of singles. You know, Michael Jackson's Thriller was the biggest album that year, next year there in 84 after this was released. Yeah. And that was an album full of singles. So well, I've also know, heard the mentality of the time. I've also heard that their record company told them if they didn't have multiple radio singles on this album, that they were, they were not going to be continuing on the, on the, on the label. And so that's, they were, that's... they were desperate to stay afloat, I guess. And so that, right. that's, that's why they decided, well, we have to write an album full of singles or album play hits because Get I mean, they had else. they had some hits with the album before that, so it what they weren't like you know. I don't even know if they had a top ten before this album, but they did. They they didn't. And I, I okay, think, I think at that time, if you're three albums in and you haven't gotten in the you know top twenty, top ten, then it's we're gonna move on. And, right. You know. And so uh, uh, I, I can't remember. I can't remember where I read that, but yeah, they were. The, basically, in not in so many words, the record label said, uh, "You guys better have some success, or we're or we're going to drop you." So there's a uh, there's a uh, YouTube channel. I'm trying to think which one it was that interviewed Huey. Just kind of here's a stool, and we're going to throw some questions at you and, and talk yeah. about, or uh, you know, put up pictures of the albums. I think, and you know, what's your reaction to it and that was really fun to have him. And they went like album by album through the years. You know, I think it was like, give me one word about this album. And then he went <laughs> into further detail and uh, trying to remember what he said about sports, but I'm sure it was something like hit or something, you know, right. that just kind of launched them. And, th you know, this album is famously critiqued by the character Patrick Bateman in both the book and the film of American Psycho, you know? Uh, yeah. According to Bateman, uh, the sports sports marks the point in the band's career in which they really came into their own commercially and artistically. And while I do like, you know, so their other work outside of this, he's probably right. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, was, I mean, even the next one with as many singles as it had on it, it wasn't as big as this one. 
four. Yeah. It wasn't as well, big as this. Individually, like uh, Jacob's Ladder, Jacob's Ladder is their only number one. Yeah. And that was on four. So yeah, they had a little bit, you know, they they I were mean, definitely building on the momentum of this album. Sure. Yeah. But this, I, yeah. But, I mean, I would agree that this is the, this top, is the top to bottom. Yeah. Yeah. I can't right. listen to four straight through. I mean, you know, there's, I don't like, I don't like every song on that album. I can play this. I played this album today three times back, you know, just <laughs> over and over. It just kept repeating because I like every song on here. So, yeah, yeah. I, I feel the same way. I feel the same way. All right. So the singles that came off of sports, the first single release was Heart and Soul, reached number eight. Yep. And then followed up with I Want a New Drug, was number six and it has a gold certification. Which I think is a hundred thousand units just for the single, um, or is it five hundred thousand? I can't I remember. I think it's five hundred thousand for gold. Uh, I think could be. Yeah. Uh, the third single was "The Heart of Rock and Roll." Went to number six. A lot of sixes in here. If this is it, number f- uh, was the fourth single. Went to number six, <laughs> and then "Walking on a Thin Line," which was released December of nineteen eighty four, a year. And three months after the album was released, wow. went to number 16. So it just had that longevity, like some of those albums like Thriller did, you know. It, it seems like the uh, the album <laughs> just stayed on the chart. It might still be on the charts or pop up on the charts, you know, <laughs> uh, from time to time. But uh, just a little bit about your experience with the album. So when did you first hear it? Or uh, We talked a little bit about, you know, our early uh listens to Huey Lewis the news in the I want a new drug episode but right maybe maybe with this you know album in particular um I didn't I didn't I didn't hear anything from Huey Huey Lewis in the news until this album and until I saw the videos on MTV and um that's when I mean I, I can remember I can remember seeing those videos on it, on not just MTV, but other cable access show, like cable uh-huh. local cable shows. And just thinking, uh, especially for the, the heart and soul video, you know, just how weird that video is, you know, the, the, the crowd that, that they're in during the video. And I'm just mm-hmm. remember thinking that what a cool band they were, <laughs> even, though, even though that's not, you know, that, that scene in the, in the video wasn't really what you know what kind of band they were um i just thought they were just the coolest thing and uh, yeah uh i can't remember if i ever owned this album or if i taped it off of somebody i can't remember i had a friend who had a double cassette deck oh yeah and uh high speed dubbing mm, yes yeah i think that may have been how i had this album i don't think i ever owned sports off the bat, I know, I know I've, I've owned it mm-hmm. different ways since, you know, since. But, uh, yeah, I'm, from the first time I saw Heart and Soul and then I wanted a drug, I was I was a huge Huey Lewis fan. <laughs> so The video, I think it's in I Want a New Drug, where he's, like, singing. He puts his head in the water and starts singing. In the ice water, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he fills the sink with ice and water, and then puts his face in and is singing along. Yeah, I, yeah, that's that's what sticks out to me yeah. uh, when thinking about their music videos. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't remember really too many uh, of their videos. Um, 
on MTV except for that one. But yeah, uh, heart, uh, the Heart of Rock and Roll was on there constantly. That was mm-hmm. that was on there, and then so was uh, um, which one's on the beach? If, if this is it, yeah, if this is it. Yeah, this on yeah. The beach, yeah, that was on there. Aren't their heads like? Aren't yeah, they they're buried, buried the up to their necks. Yeah, and they're singing. And yes, they're okay. Along, yeah. I yeah okay. Yeah. Now nah, I remember that one now. Yeah. yeah, that's coming back to me. But yeah. and that, but that was at that time when if your video was like that, like you know, outlandish or you know, cool or funny, you were going to get just spun all the time on MTV because that's what right. they wanted. They wanted you know, they wanted the quirky stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they were on. They were. I remember those videos all the time on. I'm trying to think when I first bought this album because I had it on cassette and it was probably uh, late 80s, maybe early 90s, you know, in that, mm-hmm. again, I, I go back to this all the time, but that's when I collected a lot of music was during the Columbia House and the BMG era when you're getting, you know, 12 cassettes for a penny and then paying $50 a piece after that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I picked this album up at some point and even through the early 90s up through my senior year in high school in 94 and and even beyond that i had this cassette in my car and just played it to death (laughs) i mean it's just such a good i mean i did a lot of driving too driving from pa to georgia to college a lot of highway miles and this wow has a lot of miles yeah great album to have in the car but uh yeah, so I th- I think I still have that cassette somewhere. I'll have to dig it out and maybe wow. take a picture of it and uh, throw it up on social media. But nice. Played it to death in the car. I've got it on vinyl now, along with four. I picked yeah. up those two albums uh, early in my vinyl collecting maybe 10 years ago I or so. I can't remember if I had this on vinyl or not now. Um, I think I do. I can't remember for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'll I'll spin it on occasion still. Um, you know, it's um, it, it's so weird. Like thinking of albums, like albums back in the day that you really played top to bottom, and how they were split. So you think of albums as two sides, as a record, as a mm-hmm. cassette, and this is another topic for another show. But you know, CDs kind of ruined that forethought that went into releasing music with two sides and so i think of this i think of the two sides the four songs on each side uh of this album or or there's five on the second side anyway yeah um i this is one of those albums i go back to and i just think of all right when we get you know to the end of uh i want a new drug then we have to flip the tape or flip the record (laughs) over so yes uh Love this. All right. Well, let's go through this uh, track by track. We'll let you listen along. If you've got Spotify, uh, Spotify premium, you'll get to hear the entire song, as we say. Or uh, if you're just doing the free version, you'll get a little snippet so you can get that song in your brain a little bit as we talk about it. But uh, here we go. Track by track. The first one on side one (laughs) was the heart of rock and roll. So the Heart of Rock and Roll was developed after the band performed at the Agora Theater and Ballroom in Cleveland back in 1980, which they had been told was a great rock and roll town. The following day, Lewis told his bandmates that he felt that the Heart of Rock and Roll was in Cleveland and thought the sentiment would make for a good song. 
but the band convinced him to slightly alter the lyrics. He does say that during the song, but yeah. <laughs> the heart of rock and roll is still beating instead of in Cleveland. Yeah. And, you know, the band actually used a kick drum to create the heartbeat sound at the beginning of the song, oh, but right. they were un unhappy with the results. So engineer Jim Gaze and keyboard Sean Hopper spent six hours developing a new heartbeat sound using various other means. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so six, just when you hear that song and you hear the heartbeat at the beginning, just think yeah. they, it took them six hours to come up with that. It took them nearly an entire work day to do that. <laughs> but I don't know. I think this is a, one of those perfect opening tracks for an album. You get the fade in and the heartbeat and it just sets the tone, even though, like you said, it's an album full of singles. It just sets the tone for what you're about to hear. Yeah. Uh, at least on the first side, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know what what's your thoughts on the heart of rock and roll uh i remember, i didn't see them for the i didn't see them for the sports tour i saw them for, for the four tour okay and when they did i saw them in tulsa when they did this song of course they mentioned tulsa in the lyrics yeah yeah, yeah. and i mean the crowd just <laughs> right. it just explodes you know everybody screams tulsa at the same time and then just goes nuts and um, you know, it's just a it's just a great rock and roll song. It's you know everybody knows the words, everybody you know sings right. along, and it's a. It's, I've I've seen several bands cover it, and it doesn't matter who does it. Everybody loves the song, you know. Right. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. So yeah, I love it's a it's a great song. Yeah, I it's one of their signature songs. You know, you get the whole full band at their best. I think, and yeah. even this whole album, I think. I don't know. Everything just seems so crisp, and it's just their quintessential album, I think. But yeah, uh, yeah I I'm agreeing with you because I think when I saw them in what did I say 1995 in the uh, the other episode there they they shouted out Clearfield, my little <laughs> podunk <laughs> at the county fair where I saw them. You know, you know yeah. everybody goes crazy when he when he adds the city that they're in. So. Yeah, it must have been hard, kind of keeping up with that as they're on the road. What's it? Where we are tonight? we? Yeah, yeah. All right. I know, let me... I know a lot of bands used to like have their roadie <laughs> tape the name of the uh, the city on the mic stand so they remember <laughs> where they were. That might be so, uh, yeah. that might be something that happened there. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. All right. The next song, another hit, "Heart and Soul." So Heart and Soul actually is a cover song. I didn't realize that. Originally recorded by Exile as their title track of their 1981 album. Wow. Also covered by the Bust Boys, or the the Bust Boys, the Bus Boys in 1982. Really? So, yeah, yeah. I had no idea that this was covered. I regrettably have not listened to the other versions to compare the two, but... I don't, this one just has, oh man, the guitar in this one just really shines, I think. And just that, that riff that's basically throughout the song. Right. Uh, heart and soul just mm, right there, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, it's part of the group of some of the first videos I ever saw, ever. I mean, not just on MTV, but ever. I remember seeing this video. Um, and I remember, <laughs> I remember, I mean, now that I'm older, I realize it's a song about a booty call. But <laughs> right, you know, right. at the time, you have no idea what that song's about. Uh, and, and now that now that I know that it's a, I mean, I didn't know it was a cover until you just said that. That makes me, I mean, it answers a lot of questions because just why would 
why would Huey write a song about a booty call? And then, now yeah. I know he, he didn't write it. But uh, yeah, I love that little <laughs> riff in the middle where that you know, where you hear the hands clapping. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that, just that I little, love hands clapping in the song. Yeah, and they had that little guitar riff in the middle, and in the video yeah. they're like walking in a circle, like pacing, sizing each other up. It's a that's that's the best part of that song. Yeah, yeah, it's very catchy. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's always been one I've loved. All right, next up, Bad is Bad. So Bad is Bad was actually written with uh, Huey's original band, Clover. And uh, it was back in the late 70s when he was working with Thin Lizzy, whose frontman Phil Lynott yep. liked the song so much that he would sing a fast-paced version at some of his concerts. Another version of Bad is Bad appeared on Dave Edmonds' album, Repeat When Necessary, in 1979, featuring wow. Huey on harmonica. So uh, this song, I knew this one before I had the album because it was the B-side to my Power of Love 45. So, really? Yeah, flipping that over was Bad is Bad. And I, I've always loved this one. It's just such an interesting little... Yeah, I guess blues, more or less blues hit, and the lyrics and what he's talking about during the song just are so great. You know, talking about uh, going to this uh, this place to get uh, stew right for a dollar ninety nine, but it could only get a dollar's worth. <laughs> One dollar's you know, worth is all, I, all I could stand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's bad as bad, and uh, that's uh, that's funny. Yeah, you, uh, just I, I don't know. I like the tone. And this, you know, what I love about Huey Lewis and the News, outside of their musical talents, is the vocals and the backing vocals, the harmonies. And you get that. You get the doo-wop in this song that, I don't know, just doo-wop is a thing of the past now. I mean, who listens to doo-wop bands anymore? But, I don't know, it just seemed to work perfect with the rock and roll that they were doing. You know, just kind of a kind of a take off the 50s and that whole era and bringing it well what was modern in the 80s right uh love the love the vocals in this song yeah i uh so i sang in a blues band several years ago many i mean it's been more than several but um they <laughs> they wanted you to tr they wanted you to send like uh just a you know like a sample of your voice to sing to try out and so i sang on the phone i actually sang into the guy's <laughs> uh, uh like his voicemail and sang on the phone but i'd seen their playlist and one of the songs that's later on this list was on their playlist and i didn't know all the worst of that but i knew all the worst of bad is bad and so i sang bad is bad into his voicemail <laughs> that's awesome and that's how i got the job was because of that that little voice clip oh, that's great so yeah i've this i love this song because it's just you know it's really easy to sing and it's got a great it's got a great sound to it and uh, the lyrics are the lyrics are really fun too yeah and he goes up and down with the vocal range you know yeah yeah you he know, can get he just... can get up there and then he sings really low yeah it's, it's yeah great. it's got a great uh, I love you, yeah i mean it's just it's it's all over the place so that's i mean it's a great song i'm sure it was fun to sing yeah all right rounding out side one is i want a new drug 
So like I mentioned, if you uh, have missed it, go back a few episodes in the feed and listen to our breakdown of I Want a New Drug. But the idea for the song came to Lewis during a car ride to his lawyer's office. He wrote down the majority of the lyrics upon arriving. And after he made a unsuccessful attempt to put the idea to music with his bassist, uh, guitarist Chris Hayes developed new music for the final song on his own. And then if you remember... This song became, and we didn't touch on this on the other episode, this song became the focus of a lawsuit against Ray Parker Jr. <laughs> yeah. Who was accused of plagiarizing the song for Ghostbusters. Yeah. And if you, I, I have gone out and there is like a mashup on yeah. YouTube of the two songs. And they, they fit it's, perfectly. <laughs> it's, yeah, you can sing I Want a New Drug to Ghostbusters and, and that it's mainly the bass line that you're yeah. hearing. That, walk, that, that walks up and down. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, the case was eventually settled out of court for an undisclosed uh, sum, although Parker later countersued Huey for the breach of uh, confidentiality <laughs> after he discussed the song on VH1's Behind the Music in 2001. So oh. there was some back and forth there about the song. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, yeah, that was... <laughs> no, I, I had no idea that that lawsuit was the thing until maybe I don't know, ten or fifteen years ago, I just I, I there's I made no correlation between Connection. the two. Yeah. Uh, growing up, I had you know, I had a, the Ghostbusters forty five that I wore out on our home stereo. Just never made the connection until you actually sit down, you hear the two songs. Okay, yeah, there is some similarities there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I remember. So this came out like early eighty four. And I remember that summer of 84 being at church camp and some big haired chicken breath preacher was preaching one night about the ills of, you know, drugs and alcohol and rock and roll. And just like uh, every, every trying to scare you out of hell sermon at the end of every right. camp. And right, right, he, right. I remember him talking about this song <laughs> and talking about, how one of the most popular songs today is is a, is a guy singing about how uh, his drug addiction is no longer satisfied by the drugs he's taking and he's looking for a new drug. And I remember just thinking, what the, what the F are you talking about? Are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he missed the point here. He totally missed the point. And yeah. I, 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 and I started laughing during the sermon. <laughs> And you know, it I, probably I, wouldn't have gone over well a little bit later in the 80s with Nancy yeah. Reagan and, you know, when that whole, you know, the, the war on drugs hit. But, yeah. I, I, you know, for this time, and if you listen to the song, you realize, okay, he's not talking about getting high here. I mean, of, of all the people you could have used for, <laughs> for, right, sermon, Huey Lewis. for, for yeah. a sermon example, is <laughs> not Huey Lewis. <laughs> Oh gosh! All right. Well, let's flip the uh, flip the record over. We're going to start on side two and walking on a thin line. I'm going to screw up this guy's name. Pessis. Okay. <clears throat> so, walking on a thin line was written by Andre Pessis and former Clover member, which is like we said, Huey's former band, Kevin Wells. It was about the poor treatment of veterans who returned home from the Vietnam War mm -hmm. and didn't really snag me. Even when I'm like blaring this song in my car in high school, 
didn't really get enough of the lyrics to uh, right. I guess, put me there. And it wasn't until, yeah, I mean, maybe a decade ago that I really listened to the lyrics and realized, oh, hey, this is a Vietnam song here. Yeah, I mean, I even I even knew the, all the lyrics. I could sing along to it and didn't even put it together that it was about a, a right. guy coming back from war. I didn't even that didn't even register with me. I, I love the song though. Just yeah. real, it's it the uh, the synth or the keyboard uh, is really prevalent. You know, starting the song, yeah, you know, and barrel barrel, and you get those long synth notes in there. I just love the feel of the song. And then it's there's kind of like a, a slow build with each verse. And then you get, boom, uh, don't you know me on the boy next door? That whole kind of pre-chorus into the, the main chorus. It's, I just love how the song builds. Awesome solo, too, uh, in the song. Yeah. This is probably my favorite song on the album, actually. Yeah? Um, yeah. I, I've, it's, yeah. It's hands down probably is and my my favorite part of the song is it is kind of weird um but it's the after the solo and it does the bridge again taught me how to shoot to kill well it does the bridge and right ah. be- right between the bridge and the and the chorus after the solo there's this drum fill that's oh diff- okay it's different yes. than all the other drum fills but in in that you know between the bridge and the chorus and i don't know why i like that drum fill but it just it's just i've always I'll, I'll play along with it on my desk or where, you know, like on my <laughs> yeah. on my steering wheel or whatever. Um, and I used to I used to be in a band with a guy that that would use that fill all the time, and I just I love it. I just it's just <laughs> it's simple, but I just love the way it sounds. So uh, that's my favorite part of the song. It's very niche, <laughs> but it's my favorite right, part of the right. song. Yeah, I thought you were going to say the gunshot sound effect. Oh, that yeah. <laughs> I, I always had to time that out perfect, you know, as I'm <laughs> driving down the road. You know, tell me how to fake, shoot to kill fake, fake, uh, gun out the window, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a really good song. Really yeah. good song. <laughs> All right. Next up is finally found a home. So finally found a home was inspired by an offhand comment about the ticky tacky houses near an airport later it progressed into a song about having a career in the music business. At least that's what I was told yeah. by uh, Wikipedia. But uh, this is a good song. I, this definitely could have been a single, I think. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it, it was actually the it was actually the B-side of uh, One A New Drug. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah just another, uh, just, I, I think, really mashes well with all the ones that did uh, chart. Mm-hmm. Uh, that came before it, so yeah. I mean, that's a that's a killer A and B side right there. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's. I mean, you know, I that's, this is probably my second favorite song on the album. And it's because I owned it on that B side of that. Of mm-hmm. I wanted the drug, but uh, yeah, it's a great song. Um, I actually years and years ago, um, I caught the band Tesla in uh, in concert down in Texas one time, and they did this. Uh-huh. They did uh, three three cover songs right at the beginning of their show. They did China Grove from the Doobie Brothers, and uh-huh. and they did this song. And Interesting. 
I literally had, it took me a minute to figure to remember. <laughs> Who, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, they don't, this is not their song. Who is? And then I, remember, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, this is Huey Lewis. And uh, they they just I mean they destroyed it. It was so good. It's such a great yeah. song that um, I mean you know they, Huey Lewis and News does a great does a great job with it. But the cover was just I mean mm-hmm. just as good as the original. So yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a great song that travels very well from one you know from one style to the next. Mm-hmm. All right, next up another one of their big hits from this album. If this is it. So saxophonist and guitarist Johnny Cola wrote the music for If This Is It alone and then gave the song to Huey, who pinned the lyrics on the tour bus. It's not always happens. It's just yeah. random. Oh, we'll, we'll knock this out here on the bus. Yeah. And it becomes like a huge, gigantic hit. Right. But, That's ridiculous. Oh, gosh. The, the guitar work in this one is probably the best on the album, in my opinion. Just the... the hits you right off the bat. And... Awesome solo, just a great kind of. I don't know if I'd call it a ballad. I guess it is a ballad, but um, another one of those their signature hits, I think. Yeah, this is. These are top notch Huey Lewis lyrics. I don't. I mean, they're just fantastic lyrics, and uh, probably the. I mean, out of out of all the songs and albums that I've heard are from Huey Lewis, these are probably the best lyrics he's ever written. I just mm-hmm. love. Them. Um, they just flow really well. He, you know, he matches up phrases perfectly on this on, on this song. This is a, just a really yeah. well written song, I think. You get the doo wop in there too. Yes. You know, I mean, yeah. it's just uh, again one of their signature hits when you get the doo wop in there and and everything else. And even though it's more guitar driven, not necessarily you know the horns and all that. Uh, I just love the song. Yeah. All right, next up is You Crack Me Up. So You Crack Me Up was written by Huey Lewis and uh, I believe one of the bandmates, Cipollina is his last name, uh, was based on a various people that the band had encountered in the parking lot of Uncle Charlie's, a bar that the band frequently performed at before they really achieved uh, mainstream success. success. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, it's just a fun song. Uh, it does have some fun lyrics as well. Yeah, this was this is kind of a weird one for me. I I, yeah. I never really. I mean, I I listen to it. I, I like it, but I, I just never really connected with it as far as you know being one of my favorites. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm. And again, we're all the you got all the hits on the uh, the first side, and right. then you got a few smattered in here. So I can see how maybe you. You're you're getting anxious to flip the record again, <laughs> but no, I I do like this one as well. Uh, it's it just seems it's just catchy and uh, I still love it along with the you know the rest of the songs on this side. Yeah, like I said, I don't I don't skip through it. I just it just uh, yeah. it just never it's it's not the it's not the one I connect with. I mean, I mean it's the one I don't connect with the most on the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean you know I still listen to it. Okay. And then the final song on the album, Honky Tonk Blues. Yep. So Honky Tonk Blues actually is a cover of a Hank Williams song. Imagine that. Uh, 
covering Hank Williams on the Huey Lewis album. <laughs> but, you know, with the blues, again, their, their sound, they have a sound, but they still incorporate so many genres of music yes in, into their sound that it's hard to say okay yeah they're uh they're uh they've got the incredible horn section well yes they do but they've got guitar driven songs and they got blues songs and i mean there's just so much right all mixed into what they do yeah yeah this is uh this is the one that was on the on the band list or the song list for, for the band i was trying out for and i thought i didn't know it was a cover at the time and so I thought they were doing a Huey Lewis song. And so when we were talking about the list, you know, like weeks later when we were at rehearsal, I was like, so let's try the Huey Lewis song. And they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I go, honky talk blues. And they're like, that's not Huey Lewis. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh, well, then I learned the wrong song. And uh, then that, that's how I figured out it was a cover song. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I got to sing this one. It's a really oh, fun, fun. to play. The whole, I mean, for the whole band, it's a really fun. Right, fun I'm sure it is. Play, yeah. We used to play it uh, at the end of our first set, and uh, at the but when I was done singing, I would just walk off stage and let the band play until they were done nice. playing, and then they would walk off too, and that would be the end of our first set. Nice, so, yeah. nice. Yeah, that's a Huey Lewis trick. I told you about yeah. Yeah, <laughs> walk off stage and <laughs> let the band finish it out. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's cool. All right. Well, there we are. We've made it through the album of sports track by track. Hope you enjoyed the journey with us. Maybe you learned a little bit as we uh, told you about the album and uh, how some of these songs were written. And uh, maybe you just need to ride around in a tour bus, you know, like rent one out and we can knock out a whole album, Eric. <laughs> you bring your guitar and I'll bring my laptop. <laughs> Oh well, gosh, that's that's quite a combo. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I don't like to brag, but I, well, I play it really well. I play a mean um, laptop. <laughs> it makes a nice clapping sound when you close. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, this was fun. I hope to do some more bonus shows along the way, like we do. And uh, I haven't really looked to see what all albums are. You know, celebrating their. Uh, anniversary this year and maybe even you know looking into 2024 but I'm sure we'll come back to some more bonus shows for you at some point but uh, give us your feedback on Huey as well you know uh, right there in Spotify you can leave comments or you know find us on the socials as we say at greatest lists and uh, tell us what you think about sports in particular and uh, maybe what your favorite song is off the album and we'll uh, we'll be in touch with you. But uh, this was fun, man. Yeah, I love doing these kind of album reviews. Of course you do. You've done a hundred of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which, by the way, is finished. So he has completed the journey. Man, congrats! Yeah. That was just <laughs> today was the first day I didn't do one. Did and it feel weird? I told my wife, I'm like, man, it feels weird not to to listen to an album all afternoon long and then talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. still, I'm, I'm sure you'll be doing some more along the way as stuff pops up. But uh, yeah, that was a quite an accomplishment, man. I applaud you. <laughs> it was something. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. All right. Well, we'll talk to you next time. We'll continue our countdown of the top 25 guitar solos of the 80s for season two. And uh, we will see you then. You've been listening to The Greatest Lists. 